C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash CDF Radio. It's a great pleasure today to welcome our guest, Dr. David Lyerly. Uh, Dr. David Lyerly is co-founder, CSO of Tech Lab, and he will be discussing C. difficile infection in the inflammatory bowel dis- uh, disease patient uh, with the research, clinical essays, and auto- autoimmune uh, diseases. And at this time, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Lyerly and welcome him to the program. Welcome to the program, Dr. Lyerly. Thanks so much, Nancy, and thanks to you and the CDF Foundation. It's a, it's a great privilege to be here with you today. Look forward to discussing this topic. Well, thank you, and we are really appreciative of you being here and for taking time out of your busy schedule to do so. And Dr. Lyerly, we will be talking today um, about the two diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, also known as IBD, and C. difficile diseases, also known as CDI, uh, that mimic each other. Uh, At this time, can you begin today's discussion by providing some background on IBD and include some information on the clinical picture for inflammatory bowel disease? Uh, Certainly. Inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, I'll be using those terms today, actually is a broader term for two conditions, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And I want to make sure that listeners don't get IBD confused with irritable bowel syndrome. That's often referred to as IBS. IBD is inflammatory. IBS is not. IBS does not require the types of medical treatments that you need for IBD. IBD can become life-threatening. Irritable bowel syndrome uh, hardly ever is. IBD can require treatment with medication to control the inflammation. Irritable bowel syndrome requires things like changes in the diet, exercise, stress reduction, and so forth. So that's, that's about all I'll say about IBS, irritable bowel today. Most of what I'll be talking about will focus on inflammatory bowel disease. So let's get back to IBD. Both types of IBD, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, cause chronic inflammation in the intestine. Crohn's disease basically can affect any part of the GI tract. It can go from the mouth to the anus. Usually it affects the small intestine. Ulcerative colitis, on the other hand, occurs in the large intestine and the rectum. Both types of IBD can cause diarrhea and abdominal pain. Both can cause rectal bleeding and in some cases, very pronounced bloody stools. Uh, Both can cause weight loss and fatigue. You have periods of active and inactive disease in IBD. And IBD patients will go through periods where where they are totally asymptomatic. Then, for some reason, the disease will have an abrupt onset. This is called a flare. IBD patients certainly know that term, but it's a term you'll hear me use today. 
and it's really hard to understand what triggers a flare, but I'll be talking more about that today. So, Nancy, I'll turn it back to you. Okay, well, thank you, David. And, you know, we know so little on, and understand so little about IBD. Um, can you provide some background on the disease caused by C. difficile infections? Yeah, with, with uh, C. diff, it occurs in the intestine just like inflammatory bowel disease does. And it's in the large intestine. That's where the conditions are right for this organism, C. diff, to grow. It's an anaerobe. It's an anaerobic bacterium. It does not like oxygen. So the conditions in the large intestine are anaerobic enough to allow C. diff to grow. And here's a key point to remember about C. diff infections. The presence of the organism does not equal disease. Uh, as a prime example, many infants will carry C. diff as part of their normal flora and until about the one or two year mark as the adult flora gets established. And many people in hospitals will actually pick up C. diff and just carry it in their intestine while they're in the hospital and they won't ever develop C. diff disease, CDI. Also, you can have diarrhea that's caused by other organisms, for example, norovirus. And C. diff can be a transient bystander in those people. So it's important to remember that the presence of C. diff disease does not always mean disease. And that's what really makes the diagnosis of C. diff disease, CDI, so challenging. Nancy? Exactly, Dr. Larley. And, you know, that's a really great point that you just brought up because we have a lot of uh, patients and their families calling in and asking us, well, they've got toxin A, but not toxin B, and should they be treated? So, and that's a, a really good example of just having the C. diff organism, correct? Uh, yeah. Either toxin can be a marker for the presence of toxigenic C. diff. There are not many strains that produce one toxin without the other. So it may be the manner in which the toxins are being detected. But either toxin serves as a very good marker for the presence of toxigenic C. diff. And the presence of those toxins is actually what correlates with clinically relevant CDI. Okay. And Dr. Lyerly, what happens in a patient who develops a C. difficile infection? Um, Typically, what happens in patients, when you, when you take an antibiotic, the antibiotics that we have nowadays are so powerful, they basically wipe out the normal flora in the gut. And when you take an antibiotic, and I might mention, too, that other treatments, other types of things can cause the uh, normal flora to be disrupted. But when you do that, anything that alters the normal intestinal flora can allow C. diff to get in there. And when you don't have your normal, diverse intestinal flora present and healthy, then C. diff can get in and start growing. And when it's growing vegetatively and not just present as spores, but when it's actively growing, uh, the patient will develop mild diarrhea. The diarrhea will happen several times a day. There will be some cramping, tenderness in the abdomen. And sometimes that diarrhea is actually just very self-limiting, but on occasion, and probably what happens uh, most of the time is that it can develop into a severe colitis if it's not identified. The colon can become really highly inflamed. There can be patches of the intestine that become bloody and necrotic, and these are actually referred to as pseudomembranes. And the condition when you have the pseudomembranes present is called pseudomembranous colitis. This is the severe stage of the disease. 
it's critical that that patient be identified and treated for that. And when you have the severe stage, the patient can have 10 bowel movements a day uh, with watery diarrhea, often with mucus. Uh, the numbers of white cells in the stool samples will go up dramatically. Uh, the white cells are called fecal leukocytes, and their numbers in the intestine will go up dramatically. That's a very uh, good sign of the inflammation that's present. And when those white cells go and enter into the intestinal lumen, they start to lyse. They release a protein called lactoferrin. And lactoferrin is a very good marker for the presence of those white cells. <clears throat> and we'll talk more about lactoferrin in a little bit. But if you don't get the proper treatment for colitis in the pseudomembranous form, then the patient can die from the infection. Nancy? Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Lyerly. And Dr. Lyerly, we know that the C. difficile infection is becoming more prevalent, more commonly known in the United States and worldwide. Uh, do we know the number of persons in the U.S. Uh, that acquire this infection at this time? Yeah, if you look at the numbers from last year, the 2018 numbers indicate that close to half a million people actually had CDI. And these were seen in hospitals, long-term care facilities, community-acquired infections. Probably close to 25 to 30,000 people died from CDI last year. That's the numbers attributed to that. We, we do not really have a good understanding of how much uh, comorbidities actually factor into these numbers, they, but they probably are significant. And an example of a comorbidity would be a patient with IBD who has a C. diff infection. Now, the other thing I want to mention is that when these people develop CDI, they'll have the primary episode, but then 25% of them are going to relapse either while they're in the hospital or when they go home, and they can relapse multiple times. Nancy? Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyerly. Um, Dr. Lyerly, we have three minutes before we uh, take a commercial break. And would you be able to share the information about um, a CDI inpatient uh, versus the outpatient CDI, or commonly known as the community-acquired CDI? Yeah, when you're talking about uh, hospitalized patients with CDI, those are what uh, typically referred to as inpatients. That's going to be an older, compromised patient population with the outpatient uh, more of the community-acquired CDI. Patients in general are younger and probably more healthy in general. That's the data that we have available. But uh, when you have patients who have IBD, they are going to be more likely to develop community-acquired CDI. Uh, and then the other important point there that I want to, to make is that IBD patients in a community setting are going to be more likely to be carriers of C. diff. And I also want to mention uh, pediatric IBD. We probably don't tend to think of the IBD population in the PG, pediatric group too much, but here I'm talking about teenagers. But I want to mention this because IBD is a serious problem in this age group. Those patients also will have or be more likely to have C. diff in their intestine. So this is true not only for adult IBD patients, but also for pediatric IBD patients. And here's an important point. When you have um, an IBD patient who has a CDI, a C. diff infection, a C. diff infection in that IBD patient actually is worse than it would be in a person who doesn't have IBD. 
And likewise, when you have a patient who has IBD and who flares uh, after having a C. diff infection, there's going to be more inflammation, longer hospital stays, a higher risk of colectomy. So it seems that both of these conditions, either a C. diff infection or IBD, actually seems to prime the intestine so that the next, next infection by C. diff or relapse or the next flare is actually going to be more severe. C. diff will cause long-term damage to the intestine through the direct actions of the toxins and also by the inflammation that those toxins cause. When you have IBD, you have long-term damage. It's caused by the inflammation and the different triggers for IBD are going to vary. They can be environmental in nature. They can be uh, caused by different things. The triggers are probably what we don't understand that well. But with both conditions, they're going to mimic each other. Both are going to cause severe inflammation in the gut and both will need treatment, but the treatment for each is very different from the other. So, Nancy, I'll turn it back to you. Well, thank you, Dr. Lyerly. And at this time, we're going to take a brief commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the C. diff infection uh, in inflammatory bowel disease patients with Dr. David Lyerly. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. <music> We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
You are listening to C. Diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. David Lyerly. Uh, Dr. Lyerly is co-founder, CSO of Tech Lab, and he is here today to discuss in C. difficile infection in the inflammatory bowel disease patients. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Lyerly. Thank you, Nancy. Appreciate you having me. Oh, we are so appreciative of having you here. Believe me. And um, Dr. Lyerly, if both of these diseases, the irritable, in, rather not irritable, the inflammatory bowel disease and the C. difficile infection are, are inflammatory, is there any way to determine the level of inflammation and how severe it may be in the patient? That's a, a very important point. The simple answer to that question is yes, there are tests to look at inflammation in the gut. And you can actually do those quantitatively so you can actually figure out how severe the inflammation is. One of the tests for intestinal inflammation is for a biomarker called lactoferrin. It's the one I mentioned previously. It's an excellent marker for intestinal inflammation. It's released from the fecal leukocytes that migrate into the intestine. It's a direct indication of whether there is inflammation, and when you measure it quantitatively, you can determine how bad the inflammation is. What happens is that the white cells, the fecal leukocytes, migrate into the gut. They lice, they release lactoferrin. And then if you uh, ask your doctor if you go for a test for lactoferrin and they do a quantitative version, all they'll do is simply make dilutions of your fecal specimen, and they'll determine how much lactoferrin is actually present. So you actually get a number in terms of lactoferrin per gram, and the higher that number, uh, the more inflammation there is. If there is no inflammation, for example, if you have irritable bowel syndrome, lactoferrin is going to be negative. Now, with IBD and with CDI, both of these are inflammatory, and lactoferrin can be used with either condition to determine the severity. So it's going to tell you the severity. Keep in mind, it is not going to tell you whether it's IBD or C. diff. But it's still critical to determine whether the inflammation is there, how much is going on. But the next step, of course, is to identify whether it's IBD or C. diff uh, in order to control that inflammation. So, Nancy? Okay. And, Dr. Lyerly, there uh-huh. are diagnostics available to, um, to differentiate, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah, when you're talking about IBD and you're talking about C. diff, the colonization rate of C. diff in an IBD population is going to be pretty high. Uh, it's going to be higher than in hospitalized patients, for example. It's to be pretty striking. So it's very important to note that there are different types of tests for C. diff and different types of tests to help determine IBD. With C. diff, there are PCR tests or GDH tests, that's an antigen, for the presence of the organism. These are sensitive, but keep in mind that for those, you're actually detecting the organism. And because you have such a high colonization rate, meaning the organism is not responsible for the diarrhea or the onset of symptoms, a positive PCR or GDH test 
may be misinterpreted as saying that the flare is actually due to C. diff, when in fact it simply means the organism is present. Now, there are new tests that are coming out. And I think this is very exciting. Uh, it's, it's a very key point. There's new data coming out showing that the detection of the toxin of C. diff rather than the organism is more accurate. Now, I'll talk about this in just a minute. But if, you, uh, if I can mention just the toxin test a little more briefly, um, toxin detection correlates well with clinically relevant CDI. And a positive toxin test result more accurately points to a true C. diff infection in an IBD patient as opposed to an IBD flare. Nancy? Thank you, Dr. Lyerly. We appreciate you explaining that to us. And Dr. Lyerly, do patients with, patients with IBD do they have a more severe CDI when it occurs? And also, similarly dosing, you know, the CDI cause, the IBD flares, to be more serious? Uh, yeah, there is an association between IBD flares and CDI. IBD patients have a higher incidence of CDI, of the true disease, and it can be up to five times higher. And when IBD patients do have CDI, they have a worse clinical outcome. They have a longer stay in the hospital. They have an increased rate of having a colectomy. They have more severe disease. There's an increased chance of mortality. And IBD flares are associated with some other intestinal infections. For example, uh, they have been associated with salmonella and campylobacter and E. coli, a couple others. But the association between IBD flares and C. diff disease have been studied in much more detail, and there is good documentation showing that C. diff is associated with flares much more frequently than any of the other bacteria that I mentioned. So the key challenge here is that an IBD flare can actually mimic CDI, and CDI Mm -hmm. can mimic an IBD flare. Mm -hmm. Both cause the other to be more severe. And the guidelines from the American College of Gastroenterologists recommend that physicians typically consider CDI, C. diff disease, if they have an IBD patient who they think may be flaring. But you need to rule out whether C. diff is there or not. And again, you can use lactoferrin to help determine uh, just how severe that uh, symptom, that, that inflammation, the flare actually is. Nancy? Okay. Thank you, doctor. And also, um, with both of these diseases, they can be really difficult to diagnose um, each by themselves. Can you explain to our listeners why diagnosing an IBD flare is so challenging? Yeah, we've covered a little bit of this, but I think it's important to go over it again. And the big challenge is that IBD and CDI can mimic each other. It's also complicated by the fact that CDI is an issue for IBD patients who are flaring. In other words, the organism can be present, so the the physician has to determine if the flare is due to IBD or if it's caused by an infection with C. diff. Both IBD and CDI are associated with diarrhea. Sometimes there's blood in the stool, although this is uh, more common with IBD than CDI. There's also abdominal tenderness and, of course, the inflammation that I've talked about. For IBD, it's complicated, uh, probably a little more than CDI, because for IBD, there is no single test that can be used to identify ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. Usually, the diagnosis is going to come from a combination of tests. Perhaps they'll run fecal occult blood, lactoferrin, endoscopy, radiology, 
and all these will go into the uh, in combination with the medical history of the patient to make the diagnosis. I do want to mention that with Crohn's disease, there is an additional test that you can use. It's called the ASCA test, and uh, it actually detects antibodies against the yeast called Saccharomyces. We don't have a clear understanding of why those antibodies are actually present in some Crohn's patients, but they're there in about half of people who do have Crohn's. And we've shown at Tech Lab that you can actually use those antibodies as a marker. They can be in serum or they can be in the fecal specimen, and they will help identify Crohn's patients. So you have those unusual antibodies that can help you for the diagnosis of Crohn's. But in general, the diagnosis of IBD is uh, very complicated. Nancy? Thank you so much, Dr. Ritz. We appreciate you explaining that and also explaining the Crohn's, um, in the diagnostic of that. Um, doctor, we have three minutes before we go to break. Um, before we go to break, can you explain um, the di- well, we understand that the diagnosis of either di- disease can be challenging, uh, but when they occur together, it becomes even more difficult. Would this be an accurate statement? Yeah, that statement, Nancy, is very accurate. You, so here you have two types of diseases. One is a non-infectious chronic inflammation of the gut. The other is an infection that often is accompanied by severe inflammation. They mimic each other. Both occur when our intestinal microbiome is disrupted by treatments like antibiotics. IBD patients carry C. diff uh, at higher rates than persons who don't have IBD. So the diagnosis of each disease by itself is difficult. And when you put the two together, it becomes an even bigger challenge. And in our next section, and that was about time for a commercial break, but in the next section, I'll be talking a little more about some new information on diagnosing CDI and an IBD patient. So, Nancy, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, Dr. Lyerly, we still have two minutes before we go to break. Okay. Um, would you mind just explaining briefly about how long does it take to diagnose uh, an IBD compared to CDI? Yeah. With, uh, when you have uh, an infection with CDI, you, you do have, various, you have the, the uh, fairly rapid onset of symptoms. And so there are any number of tests. You can pick up the organism. You can pick up an antigen marker for the the organism, or you can pick up the toxins. And as I mentioned before, the toxins are more clinically relevant to true CDI. That diagnosis can be made fairly quickly. When you have IBD, uh, one of the first things that will be done is to rule out an infectious cause. So with IBD, uh, what they'll do are the tests that I mentioned previously and uh, so it can take probably months to years to actually diagnose IBD. One of the confusing things with IBD is that you have to make sure you differentiate that from IBS. With IBS, probably about 10% or less of those are early stage IBD. And that's why it's important to look for inflammation in the gut when you have symptoms that do flare. So you can have uh, IBD, they'll, uh, they'll do uh, measurements for intestinal inflammation, they'll do um, measurements to, to actually uh, look at, at the patient by endoscopy, and they'll do those things and, and link those to the medical history of the patient, and that's the way they'll make the diagnosis of IBD. The other okay. thing I want to mention, too, is that there is a genetic, uh, a low genetic predisposition to IBD, Because it's considered an autoimmune disease, I don't think that's too surprising. 
But if you have a family history of Crohn's, for example, or uh, you have a, uh, some environmental factors uh, that have figured in to conditions, then those also can lead to a diagnosis of IBD. So IBD versus CDI, IBD takes longer to diagnose. You rule out infections. You rule out other possible conditions. Uh, and then you begin to look for inflammation in the gut and see how severe it is. Okay. Okay. Well, Dr. Larry, thank you so much for explaining that with, to our global listeners. Right now, we're going to pause for a brief commercial break. When we return, we will be discussing C. difficile infections in inflammatory bowel disease patients with Dr. David Lyerly. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to reintroduce our guest. Today is Dr. David Lyerly, co-founder and CSO of Tech Lab. And Dr. Lyerly joins us today to discuss C. difficile infections in inflammatory bowel disease patients. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Lyerly. Thanks again, Nancy. Oh, thank you. And before we went to break, Dr. Lyerly, you were um, discussing not only the um, IBD, but some uh, information about Crohn's disease. And we've talked about the importance and the challenges of distinguishing an IBD flare from CDI. Are there any new advances that might help with the diagnosis? Uh, This is something that I think is very encouraging. There's a particular study that I do want to highlight at the recent uh, Digestive Disease Week meeting uh, last month, actually in May, uh, uh, DDW, Digestive Disease Week, by the way, is the largest gastroenterology conference in the U.S., and there was a presentation on C. diff disease in IBD patients. That's a good uh, for, uh, format for introducing new information to the GI field. 
but it's the largest gathering of scientists and physicians working on diseases of the intestine, so it's a great meeting for presenting, uh, presenting these new findings. And in this study that I mentioned, uh, a team of scientists was evaluating several diagnostic tests, and the work that I'm discussing was actually done at the IBD Center, which is in the Division of Gastroenterology at Virginia Tech Carilion, and this is located in Roanoke, Virginia. <clears throat> the medical center there has a very active IBD CDI research. So they're looking uh, very much at inflammatory bowel disease, but they're also looking at how to better understand C. diff carriage rates and C. diff disease in the IBD population. And it's headed by Dr. Dario Sorrentino, and he's, he's, he's an IBD specialist, and he is well known for his work in IBD and in C. diff. And previously in our discussion today, I did cover some of the types of lab tests available for CDI. Uh, among them are toxin tests and detection of the organism by, for example, PCR or GDH. In the study done at Carillion, the IBD patients who were positive for C. diff toxin, who were flaring, what appeared to be a flare, but they were positive for the toxin, actually responded to the typical treatment for CDI. So when they were given antibiotics for C. diff, these IBD patients, uh, the flare, the uh, symptoms went away uh, quickly. So they were given either vancomycin or metronidazole, uh, some of the newer antibiotics are fidaxomycin, for example, but when they were given treatment for C. diff, the symptoms went away. So the IBD patients who were negative for toxin, however, the positive just for the organism, showed a much lower response to CDI therapy. So this means that the patients who were negative for toxin, positive for the organism, likely did not have true CDI, but instead they were experiencing an IBD flare. And so uh, the data from that study shows that those persons were probably carriers of C. diff, but they were flaring from their IBD. Okay. Okay, Dr. The bottom Dr. line here is that toxin is more accurate for the detection of a true CDI infection in an IBD patient. Uh, it does not indicate an IBD flare. If toxin is present, it's going to indicate a true C. diff infection. PCR and methods to detect the organism, on the other hand, were not as accurate. And the team of scientists concluded that under those conditions, what you were actually seeing is colonization with C. diff. And this actually goes along with what's been seen with non-IBD patients. Toxin detection accurately uh, reflects true CDI, and it identifies people who actually need to be treated for CDI. So uh, the conclusion from this is that uh, you can detect the organism, but uh, you also want to make sure that you do a toxin test. Detecting the organism is not going to steer you one way or another. If you have toxin present, then you uh, likely are going to have a true CDI event. And that's uh, fairly new material. It was presented uh, at DDW, and I think it's uh, it's a very good step forward. Nancy? Exactly. Thanks so much, Dr. Lyerly. And we appreciate you discussing the diagnostic tests that distinguish an IBD flare from a CDI. Um, would you be able to explain how this will affect the treatment of these diseases? Certainly. Um, 
So let's say we want to distinguish an IBD flare from CDI and how this affects the treatment. This is an important point because the treatments are so different for IBD versus those for CDI. If you have an IBD flare, then uh, you probably are going to be looking at treatment with anti-inflammatory drugs, things like corticosteroids, uh, amino salicylates. They're often used uh, as a first step to treat the flare. You may use immunosuppressant drugs like azathioprine, and uh, sometimes you may give uh, bio- biologics such as monoclonal antibodies, infliximab, uh, which is Remicade or Humira. Uh, those actually inhibit tumor necrosis factor. And uh, uh, it's a good approach because tumor necrosis factor is a host-derived mechanism. It actually triggers inflammation in the body. And sometimes that inflammation becomes uncontrolled, for example, in IBD. So you can give monoclonal antibodies against uh, tumor necrosis factor. Uh, Monoclonal antibodies will neutralize the TNF, and the patient's condition is going to improve. So the biologics that you give for IBD specifically target TNF. When you do that, you shut down the inflammation, the patient gets better. If there's a concern for infection, then antibiotics may be given. So let's uh, turn now to what the treatment will be for uh, a CDI. If you have a C. diff infection, there are several options. If the patient only has mild diarrhea, and you're unsure as to whether the patient has true CDI, then some of the C. diff experts will suggest simply stop the inciting antibiotic. You keep the patient under observation to make sure it doesn't get worse. This way, you're not exposing the patient to an antibiotic that could actually wipe out the normal flora. Because if you do, then you could probably set up a a true or more severe case of CDI. So it's really ironic that here with CDI, you have a disease that actually is triggered by treating with an antibiotic that kills off the normal flora. So if you have CDI, what you do is turn around and treat this antibiotic-caused infection with another antibiotic. And usually it's going to be metronidazole or vancomycin. Uh, Fidaxomycin is the newer one on the block. Uh, they're all being used. Uh, Fidaxomycin probably has a lower relapse rate. Um, it's about half of what you're going to see with vancomycin. But any of these antibiotics, metronidazole, vancomycin, fidaxomycin, they're going to clear up a C. diff infection in terms of the symptoms. None of these antibiotics kill the spores. They are going to kill vegetative, actively growing organisms. They do not kill the spores. <coughs> Plus, all of them are going to kill our protective flora. So now when you've gotten treatment for a C. diff infection, you've killed the growing C. diff cells. That's a good thing because those are the ones that are actually causing the disease. You've left the spores behind. When you stop the treatment with metronidazole, vancomycin, fidaxomycin, you then have a race between our normal flora and the C. diff spores. We want our normal flora to repopulate just as quickly as possible and to outgrow the spores. Uh, if not, then those spores are going to germinate. They're going to start growing as vegetative cells. They will start producing toxin. That's when you get your relapse. So depending on which one wins, whether it's C. diff or whether it's the normal flora, 
That will determine whether or not the patient relapses. Now, keep in mind that this is why there are relapses in C. diff infection. Uh, those vegetative cells can grow pretty quickly if we don't have our normal flora uh, to compete with that. Relapses are very common. I will mention that with treatment, there are some efforts underway, which I think are very exciting, where they hope to develop antibiotics that will much more selectively treat C. diff. Think about taking an antibiotic that doesn't wipe out all your normal flora, but instead goes in there and kills the bug that's causing the issue. That would really be nice. Maybe they'll come up with that. I hope they will. That's what we need, because you need to have that normal flora get reestablished to get your protection back against C. diff. Nancy? Thank you so much, Dr. Lyerly. We are approaching our uh, commercial break. And before we do, uh, maybe you can um, share with our global listeners uh, and explain what can happen if an IBD flare is misdiagnosed as a C. difficile infection and when, in fact, a C. difficile infection is simply present as a bystander organism. Certainly, yeah. Now, now, when I use the term bystander organism, what I'm talking about is that C. diff is there. It's not doing any, anything. It's not participating in any disease. It happens to be present there transiently. If you have an IBD patient who is incorrectly diagnosed and the patient gets inappropriate treatment for CDI, and keep in mind that this can happen because IBD patients are going to carry C. diff in their gut at a higher rate than other uh, persons, that patient is not going to receive the proper treatment for the flare. In fact, the patient may actually receive an antibiotic when, in fact, what was warranted was anti-inflammatory medication. So in this case, the IBD flare can get very serious very quickly. Similarly, if you have a patient that actually has a C. diff infection and you treat them for a flare, that patient may be treated with corticosteroids or some other treatment for IBD, which would not be appropriate. And the patient could actually go on to develop severe colitis from a C. diff infection, uh, probably developing into pseudomonas colitis since they did not receive the appropriate treatment of vancomycin or metronidazole or or fidaxomycin. Nancy? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lyerly. And right now we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile infections and inflammatory bowel disease patients with Dr. David Lyerly. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age, at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, 
treatments and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners who are joining us today. And we welcome back our guest today, Dr. David Lyrely, discussing C. difficile infections in inflammatory bowel disease patients. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Lyrely. Thanks, Nancy. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, Dr. Lyerly, we've we've talked about the two critical intestinal diseases today, uh, inflammatory bowel disease and C. difficile infections. Can you give us just a brief idea of how our normal intestinal microbiome figures into all of this? Uh, Certainly. uh it's hard to overemphasize just how important our intestinal flora is to our health. Uh, the reason it's so protective is because it's so diverse. We have over a thousand bacterial species in our gut. Well, that's a kilogram's worth of bacteria. That's a lot of bacteria. And it's the diversity in this flora that actually protects us. And we now, over the past several years, now have the technology to look at the diversity of the bacteria in our intestine. We can now study different patient populations to see how the disruption of the flora affects our health. And as you can imagine, we are getting huge amounts of data. So although we have the technology to look and see what's there, we still are trying to figure out how to put it together. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're looking at IBD uh, patients, we're looking at C. diff patients, and so forth. Uh, I do want to mention there was a recent study that came out of UCLA, a recent report. They've got some new technology that allows you to look at the microbiome, skin, respiratory, gut, whatever, faster and more accurately. So that's pretty exciting. I think we're going to be looking at ways to look at our flora in hours instead of days to weeks. So that'll be really neat when we can do that. Uh, It has broad appeal. The technology has broad appeal but it will allow us to understand our microbiomes much more accurately and to look at different changes that occur in different diseases. Perhaps the key thing that we're finding out is that in IBD patients, the diversity of our flora is decreased. We are still not sure how this diversity 
this lower diversity actually plays into IBD being an, an autoimmune disease, but it's this decreased diversity most likely that is what causes the disease in the first place. It's how flares develop, and it's what may set us up for a C. diff infection. So we haven't put all this together yet. With the new technology, I think we're going to get there. It's very exciting. With CDI, the primary trigger for CDI is the disruption of our flora by antibiotics. And it's significant because today's antibiotics are good, but they're very powerful. So when you take an antibiotic, your healthy intestinal microbiome is going to become much less diverse, and that's when you become susceptible to infection. So, Nancy, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go over just a short summary, some key points for today's presentation. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Lyerly. Mm-hmm. First of all, thanks for letting me talk about this important topic. We're making progress in how to accurately diagnose these, these diseases when they occur individually and when, when they occur together. It's interesting but extremely challenging that we have two diseases that mimic each other but they're caused by totally different mechanisms. One's basically an autoimmune disease. The other is infection. Both are inflammatory. The inflammation affects how severe the condition becomes. So the first summary point today is that C. diff is more commonly found in adult and in pediatric IBD patients than in healthy persons. C. diff disease also is more common in IBD patients. The organisms going to be present in many IBD patients who are undergoing flares, and because of this, recommendations are in place for the GI to suspect C. diff infection in an IBD uh, person who is flaring. So this is a good approach. Second point is that both diseases uh, probably result from the normal protective flora being disrupted. The flora is not as disrupted, disrupted in an IBD patient is what it is in a patient who takes an antibiotic. But even so, the disruption is a predisposing factor in intestinal disease. This is especially important because this disruption is the key predisposing factor in CDI. Third point is that treatment for IBD, treatment for CDI, they're both very different. <clears throat> this is why you need an accurate diagnosis. And an accurate diagnosis is difficult because these diseases do mimic each other. They have similar clinical symptoms. Both can be accompanied by significant amounts of inflammation. The inflammation is going to affect how severe the disease becomes. And finally, this may actually be the most important take-home point for IBD patients. There are new and encouraging studies on what works best to actually help identify a true CDI in a patient who has IBD. The detection of toxin in an IBD patient who seems to be flaring points to a diagnosis of C. diff disease, CDI, rather than an IBD flare. When you have those conditions, CDI likely is the cause of the diarrhea and inflammation instead of it being an IBD flare. And we certainly need more studies to look at this with this information and more studies along these lines will certainly help guide appropriate treatment in IBD patients. That's the important thing, to make sure that a correct diet... We can look at the inflammation in patients. We can tell you which direction it's going. Is it, is it improving? Is it getting worse? 
but we need to make sure we can accurately, accurately identify those conditions, those diseases that mimic each other, because the treatment for each of those is very different. So I'm going to stop at that point and turn it over to Nancy and see if there's any more time. Absolutely. Dr. Lyerly, at this time, would you mind providing our global listeners contact information uh, and website information uh, where they can learn more about the diagnostics and the organization? Certainly. The, uh, uh, if you contact techlab.com, you can send it to my attention, dlyerly at techlab.com, and we can provide information on the different types of research that are being done. We can also provide information on the uh, study group at Carillion, uh, the types of work they're doing, and so forth. So you can use that. You can call Tech Lab. If you go to our website, Tech Lab, you'll see information uh, on there about the different types of infections and so forth. But there also is a section on intestinal inflammation. Uh, Go to that section and take a look at that. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Lyerly, we thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more global broadcasting, and we are so grateful for your dedication in the healthcare community. We look forward to having you back really soon. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here today, and uh, Nancy, thanks for all your work with the C. diff Foundation. You're doing a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you in November, too. Okay. Okay, well, at this time, the members of the CEDA Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe dedicated in improving health and the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention, treatments protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infections and recurrent C. diff infections and clinical trials in progress, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org, and click on the tab, Clinical Trials in Progress. Please help them to help you to help others. We also take this time to thank Pfizer for being the diamond sponsor of the 7th Annual International Seat of Conference and Health Expo taking place November 6th and 7th in St. Louis, Missouri. The Doubletree Westport Hotel is the property we are hosting the conference at, and we are grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference. We also thank the corporate sponsors and industry leaders in the C. diff community joining us in the two-day event to provide information focused on healthcare-required infections, prevention, treatment, diagnostics, and environmental safety. For more information and to register, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website. Don't delay, as today, seating is now limited. We look forward to learning more together with you in November. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder that none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 